Welcome to Mint. My name is Adam Levy, and I'm going to be showing you how the creators of today are building the communities of tomorrow by harnessing the power of Web3. This episode welcomes Mint Fund and Quixotic co-founder Mark Dawson, who shares why he helped start a community that finds, funds, and supports up-and-coming artists, as well as his excitement around building the largest NFT marketplace on optimism. This conversation took place during ETH Denver, so there's a lot to unpack from the week itself, let alone all the cool stuff he and his co-founder are building. So let's just dive right in. Enjoy. Mark, <laughs> welcome to Mint. Great. How to you be doing, here. man? I'm doing well. Yeah, Denver's been great. How are you doing? I'm good, man. Uh, I am. Uh, I'm feeling a little bit tired from East Denver. Um, it's so cold here. It's much it is colder than California. Much colder than California, but nonetheless, we are surviving. Yeah. <laughs> when did you get into East Denver? Wednesday. Yeah, I came. Um, Wednesday. We were excited about the Shelling Point talks um, on Thursday. So. Okay. Cool. So, what have you been doing since then? Since Wednesday. Like what has been on your agenda? Yeah, so the biggest thing has been the shelling point talks and then meeting with NFT people. So I build NFT communities um, and we're focusing on layer two. So meeting people at different layer twos like Optimism and Arbitrum. Okay, cool. All right, let's dive right in. Yeah. Who are you? Okay? Who am I? What does the world need to know about you? Um, yeah. <laughs> Mr. Mark Dawson. Okay, take it away. But take it from the point of view of like, how'd you get into crypto? Okay. Yeah. Um, and having you a part of season four, which is all about the music industry, right? So talk to me also about like your intro into the music industry. Um, and we can start there. Yeah. So uh, when I graduated from college, I moved to LA and just worked at a normal web two ad tech company for about three years. Um, I speculated basically in 2017, um, but nothing serious in terms of my crypto involvement. Um, I've always been a huge music fan. So I went to every show I could in like 2019 um, which was really lucky for me because by 2020, like all the live music was gone. Yeah. Um, and basically midway through the pandemic in January, 2021, I quit my normal web two job and decided to focus on crypto full time. And I started an NFT company in April, 2021 and have been building NFT projects and communities since then. So why NFTs for you? Yeah, I mean, NFTs were actually what got me into crypto, um, which is probably something specific to this cycle. You know, most people got in for DeFi or maybe yeah. protocol design earlier. Um, for me, it was media. Like, I love media and art. Like, that's why I was excited to move to LA and not like San Francisco, for example. Um, my roommate is like a filmmaker. Um, mm. So we would always talk about like movies, media, music. Um, that's been a big part of my personal interest. So when I saw NFTs and crypto art, um, I actually bought my first NFT in like March of 2021, I think, on oh. Foundation. Which NFT was it? Do so you remember? It was actually a red pill, which is really funny. A red pill. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I bought it on Foundation. I was like, this is awesome. Um, and then one fun thing about crypto, especially with NFTs, is it was like sort of a blank canvas. So if you had an idea in Web2, Probably people had tried it and either succeeded or failed, but you couldn't do it. Um, in NFTs, it was like a blank canvas. So mm. if you had the idea of like uh, NFT trading card platform, that was like totally, you know, could be done. Mm -hmm. um, NFT fan cards, NFT like uh, creator DAOs, like all of these were open spaces. So uh, I went up to the Bay Area um, and met with a college friend of mine, Daniel, 
and convinced him to quit his job at Google to do NFT stuff with me. <laughs> wow. Yeah. What was he doing at Google? He was working at YouTube, actually, um, oh, wow. as a product manager. So he was doing creator stuff as well um, at a big platform. So that was kind of our story is that um, I started doing hackathons. So I did like the ETH Global hackathons in March. Um, both of us have technical backgrounds, and we both do the engineering at our company now. Um, but he was sort of like the creator focus, and I was like the engineering and um, just personally really excited about music. So, How long have you been developing for? Um, I mean, I studied computer science in college. I built my first apps, like, in high school. Oh, wow. Um, so, yeah. And Daniel, same with him. We Pretty actually cool. Yeah, met doing, like, programming stuff together in college. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right, so now that we're at ETH Denver. Okay, yeah. <laughs> you get to see uh, what the community is like in real life, right? Uh, there's a lot of, like, hype and conversations happening across crypto, Twitter, news, etc. But my favorite part of coming to ETH Denver are these conferences in general is like seeing the real time conversations and what projects are being built and better understanding what the current state of where we are in crypto and NFTs. From your point of view, what is the current state of crypto? Like, and more specifically, what's the current state of NFTs? Yeah, um, I think there's several different trends happening that are exciting to me. One is, um, I think the first like home run use case from a financial point of view is avatar PFPs. Um, mm -hmm. That's still actually so much for the market today, even on OpenSea. And I actually thought that those were maybe going to end with like the Mechaverse. Mm. Um, <laughs> and I remember that. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but no, like that's still going really strong. Um, like you've seen like Crypto Covens and Chainrunners mm -hmm. still doing really well. Um, so that's really interesting that that's like continuing strong. I think the Twitter hexagons like changed the narrative there. Yeah. Um, you're also seeing like gaming NFTs really taking off. So um, like I think GameFi is probably one of the really big next use cases. Mm -hmm. um, and then we're seeing like a whole rise of like corporate embrace of NFTs, which is really interesting. And it's funny because these are pretty distinct communities I found actually. So I met with someone at Bitski this week who's like talking about how to get, you know, giant companies, um, familiar with NFTs, like even watching the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade yeah. just a couple months ago, they're yeah. talking about NFTs. Um, I think I'm most excited about like the crypto native use cases. Um, I think, you know, you talk a lot about music. Music NFTs have taken off a lot. I think sound uh, was, you know, a big deal for the community, sound.xyz launching. Um, and it's funny because one of the co-founders of sound used to work at Optimism, which now we're very close with the Optimism team because mm. we run the NFT marketplace there. Um, so small world. Yeah. <laughs> crypto, the crypto community is in general a small, small community. Yeah. Um, you know, one thing that I like to tell like newcomers into the space, and I'd love to hear your point of view, is the best way to jump in as a creator, as a musician, whatever you want to call it, right? I mean, let's talk about musicians because we're on season four of music. Is to attend these conferences and make your name familiar with all the like all the sub niche communities from all the side events happening to all the booths that are taking place at the conference itself. And when you advise creators, because you also have the music fund, which we'll get into in a minute, but when you talk to creators and when they come to you, like, how do I get started? Mm -hmm. Right. What is your kind of like tip for them? Yeah, for sure. I think, um, to me, the most exciting part is the crypto native piece. Mm -hmm. Um, so I tell people to start by listening 
and joining other communities. I think the most successful creators do that. Um, so like go buy an NFT on catalog first before minting one, for example. Um, and I also am personally just really excited about creators who are committed to like community building. Um, so I guess maybe I'll have a spicy hot take, but, Please. um, you know, Whitney Houston did an NFT drop on one of, uh, which is a big corporate, uh, NFT platform. Whitney Houston is dead. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, if you can like, to me, that's like a foil of like the most like inorganic sort of cash grabby thing you can do. Um, on the other side of the spectrum is like Daniel Allen, who is like sort of making music in building community in a really crypto native way. Um, he's like starting a DAO called like Overstem. Is mm -hmm. that the name of his DAO? Yeah. Um, he's started by participating in Web3 spaces before he decided to do his drop. So I think for a lot of creators, you want to like try to understand what makes crypto cool, what makes it fun. I think coming to events like East Denver is a great way to do that because you meet like the culture here is like very unique. Um, it's not what you would think if you. How would you describe it actually to someone who's unfamiliar with it? Highly whimsical okay. and idealistic actually, which is sort of more and more uncommon today. Um, if you think about uh, like web two is like sort of pessimistic. Like the biggest musicians today are like Billie Eilish, who's like sort of over it. <laughs> um, I see like sort of unbridled optimism at a place like East Denver. Um, you see people in unicorn costumes. Um, Feels like people are themselves here. Yeah, yeah. There's also as much as like imposter syndrome is like roaming the streets of of crypto. It you still feel a lot of like connectability, uh, and you get to know people as people here. Like you said, people are dressed up as costumes. They have like face paint on, yet they're like top ten contributors, <laughs> like a crazy protocol. And it's like, wait, you you don't look like the person that would fit this type of character and then you think wait all of crypto is like that yeah for sure and it's interesting because there's so much like diversity in the even like ideologically you see people who are like straight up communists straight up libertarians um and we're all like hanging out <laughs> um you know despite cultural differences yeah. despite like political differences we're all aligned under the ethos of crypto yeah that's, so that's so yeah. funny yeah. yeah i've never seen so many different types of people get along i've also noticed that yeah and i've also experienced that firsthand yeah, yeah. and i think you know a lot of people have been getting like canceled on crypto twitter but despite all the differences despite a lot of people's differences like politically socially whatever it may be culturally crypto is still something that brings everyone together yeah right it's still that relatability it's still that money-making machine it's that technological machine that everybody or a lot of people align with and collectively want to improve right so you feel this unity you feel this unity in the air yeah i also think it's interesting because because there's that outside pressure that crypto like they're like this, these, I'm a, I run an NFT company. So sometimes mm -hmm. when I tell people NFTs, I get like pushback. Um, when I tell people, why is that? Uh, there's like a narrative that NFTs are maybe bad for the environment or that it's all a Ponzi scheme. Um, or do you think there's truth to that? Um, yeah, for sure. I think there's, uh, yeah, but the problem is it's, Never, I think the best critiques of the crypto community actually usually come from the inside. I'm, mm. I find that the critiques coming from outside don't actually understand 
um, that people have been working on this for a long time. So Ethereum has been moving towards proof of stake, which would you know solve a lot of the environmental concerns since 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just pretty technically challenging thing to do to take the world's most valuable blockchain and move the consensus mechanism um so but you know it doesn't help like when i explain to people that or when i explain you can you know do nfts on polygon or layer twos um that have different environmental implications that doesn't usually change the conversation very much um so i do think you know i i think good critics are great but i find a lot of bad critics um, outside of crypto but what's interesting is the bad critics outside of crypto unify everyone. So I am a big, um, some people, I'm, I'm not an ETH uh, maximalist, but I'm an ETH mostimalist. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I don't, you know, do a lot of stuff with like the Avalanche people, for example, mm. or I don't build on Avalanche. Um, you could say we have like very little in common, but when someone outside of crypto starts attacking Avalanche, I'm like, we are yeah. friends, yeah. like we are together, yeah. you know? Yeah. So it does unify people. I think feeling like you're part of counterculture in some way does unify sort of everyone in the space. Got it. Talk to me more about Quixotic, okay? Yeah. And what you guys are actually trying to solve over there. Um, from an external point of view, it may seem like another marketplace, but you guys have your unique twist, right? So explain to me what the USP is. What are you guys trying to solve uh, what type of creators are you targeting on that specific music or not music, but the largest NFT marketplace on optimism? Uh, give me the rundown. Yeah, for sure. So um, we were building, I've been building like L1 NFT projects for throughout 2021. Um, so we made like something called NFT postcards where you can like mint a card and send it to someone, which is kind of fun. Um, and then, you know, we also run music fund, which is an L1 NFT community. Basically, uh, L1 gas fees are totally crazy, um, but people still pay them today because the culture, like the culture and everything is on Ethereum, the legitimacy, right? And a lot of the money. And a lot of the money, right? Yeah. The buyers are on yeah. Ethereum. They like yeah. have, you know, yeah, exactly. And um, so the plan for Ethereum scaling is actually not to scale ETH L1, you know? The long-term plan is not for gas fees to get cheaper on L1. The plan is to move the community to L2, which um, there are a lot of good arguments for on the technical side. But the problem is there needs to be people who help the community move on culturally to a new network, Mm. um, a new layer two. And that's actually a huge social coordination problem and cultural problem. And so far I've seen a lot of people take a not opinionated stance on that. So they say like, we're going to be multi-chain or we're going to support lots of solutions. Um, We uh, decided to, me and Daniel at our company decided to build an NFT marketplace focused on moving the community to layer twos. So gas fees are about a hundred times cheaper. Um, It has the same, almost the same security properties as Ethereum. And I can get into that, but that's Mm -hmm. a little bit technical. and there were already some NFT communities being built. So there were a few NFT communities, but there was no marketplace. And I actually joined one of those NFT communities. Um, and it was funny because there's no marketplace. So it actually made me feel like early days of crypto where like, you're sort of like, how do I get one? You message someone into Discord. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the way, so there's a collection called Optipunks. Okay. And I wanted one, but I missed the mint. And so I like hopped in the discord and uh, everyone was like, what's the floor price? And it's funny because if you don't have a market, you don't know what the floor price is. So I was like, I just threw out a number. I was like, I'll pay 0.05 ETH for one. Someone messaged me on discord. 
And they're like, okay, I'll, I'll sell you mine. And <laughs> um, so I was like, okay, I'll send you the money, I guess. And he's like, great, send it to me. And I was like, okay, I trust you, uh, Discord random anon yeah yeah and and then he sent me the optifunk back and i was like this is kind of magical that's like the the wag me um you know culture coming through and it's funny because now he's like a pretty active person in our discord so we're like oh cool yeah we're like there are these communities building on layer twos but you need all the infrastructure again um and it it seems like a lot of the successful projects on l1 ethereum are also sort of caught in an innovator's dilemma many one where like they've made so much money on L1 Ethereum, there's not a huge incentive to build a new culture and narrative around L2s for them mm-hmm. because they're making huge amounts of money on L1. So we we're like, we'll try to build a marketplace focused on helping people move to L2. And so like gas fees there are about a dollar. And I think also one to $2 just for a trade. So on OpenSea, that's, you know, like 150 bucks for a trade usually. Um, and also it's kind of fun to just be early again on something new and i also just personally like uh the mission behind optimism which is like to fund public goods and to help projects succeed that don't have a business model behind them but are still really valuable Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of that mission-oriented culture um on the projects that build on optimism too so that's like pretty fun and optimism is run by like ethereum ogs so Mm -hmm. people who were, have been involved in the space forever, so that's fun yeah. too. Let me ask you something. So you call them what punks? What was that? Optipunks. Optipunks. There's yeah. Solana punks. Um, there's Solana apes. Mm-hmm. Everybody's like making, or a lot of a lot of competitive networks or side chains, L2s, whatever you want to call them. I'm curious to hear what you think about their like NFT strategy. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I personally have like a strong opinion on this seeing Solana do Solana punks, you know, or like a derivative of Bored Apes or Optimism do Omnipunks, right? And you think like, does that actually work towards the narrative of making uh, a brand for that network versus copying, creating derivatives off what originally worked on Ethereum? Like, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I think the best way to grow an ecosystem is to have high quality novel projects. Right. So I do think the copy pastas can be fun because um, it feels like early, like it's CryptoPunks, but the real value is going to come from like novel projects. Um, and it's interesting because like for optimism, we're so early that we actually get to build the culture. Um, I think for Solana and Polygon, for example, <clears throat> a culture has been built um, and it's, it's actually a little bit tough. I feel sort of bad for my friends who built on Solana because there were some high-profile projects that were just not cool um, yeah. launching there. Um, I think they can change the narrative, but I do think beginning with high-quality novel projects is pretty important. Um, yeah, makes yeah. a lot of sense. You know, when we first met, mm-hmm. it was like uh, in it was in LA in like the hills of Hollywood, I think, at some party or some event. Um, and at the time, you were working on something called Music Fund. Yes. Okay. So, which I found particularly interesting, and I'm on my laptop here, and the intention of the Music Fund is basically, it's a Web3 community that finds funds and supports up-and-coming artists. Okay? Yeah. That's, is that, did you start that prior to starting this NFT marketplace? Yeah. That okay. was our first big project, Music okay. Fund. So, walk me through, what is Music Fund? Why start that? What were some things you aimed to achieve, and where are you guys now? Yeah, for sure. So, um... 
to be so when we were starting Music Fund, we were hoping to we were basically making it an NFT community. And now I think it's really we should have always thought of it as a DAO because we didn't want it to be a PFP project and the NFTs themselves are not PFPs. Um, but basically the vision is for it to be a music discovery DAO. So a lot of people in LA love music, um, love discovering music and maybe even want to be like an A&R, um, which is like the person who I guess gets paid to discover top talent. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of music fund is that if you want to, if you love talking about new music, um, you can join our community and every month we'll give away grants. So mm. we um, already gave away our first two rounds of grants and we're doing our third round of grant right now. Um, we did our first round of grants in October. Um, and um, our second round of grants we did in November. And a woman, uh, the woman who run, won that, her name is Belle and she actually went on, she's just struggling LA musician um, who was new to crypto and she went on to we gave her like a relatively small amount of eth that was like 0.6 eth um and which in turn in eth terms it's like a small amount but in like real life terms it's like at the time i don't know what what price but it could have been like 2k yeah exactly uh, yeah it was yeah. yeah so um yeah that was great for her. and then she went on to sell a song on catalog for one eth oh, um nice. yeah and uh so she was grateful to our community and it made her excited about crypto now that was um for the first two rounds our team like selected the people we've been just working on progressively decentralizing it so now it's 100 percent community run so if you own the nft you can nominate an artist and if you're um in the discord a lot you can sort of make the case to the community that they should be upvoted and there's sort of an upvote system and whoever at the end of the month ends up in the top three spots we give a grant to each of them um what does a grant amount look like? Is it all 0. 0.6? It's or? 0. 0.6, 0. Uh, 0.35, and 0. 0.15 um, for the top three spots. Got it. Um, and the money that's used to fund it is the money that was raised through the NFT. Yeah, exactly. Got it. Um, How big is the community? Actively, you know, it's funny. There's like probably tiers of engagement as with any community. So there's probably a few dozen people really active in the Discord and maybe... Um, we didn't sell that many NFTs at first, so that was like kind of discouraging. We weren't great at the marketing game early on, so we sold only like 250 or 300, which was still good. We raised like four or five ETH. That's why our grants are relatively small, um, but enough to get started. Yeah, enough to get started for is, sure. Uh, it's like more than generous. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And we're planning on using all the proceeds. Um, so as like the central team, we're taking none of that zero. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're using all the money for grants. Um, and Basically, the motivation behind Music Fund was just to build a really awesome Web3 community. Um, our company, basically, our goal was to provide infrastructure and tools for NFT communities. And we started by building our own, like just something I thought would be cool to exist, and then figuring out what tools were needed. And we developed a ton of tool, cool tools that um, other people are interested in. Um, and so now our core business is the Optimism Marketplace. but um, we, you know, work with like all sorts of communities. Like we do gasless voting and stuff. Um, and everything is, you know, with your wallet, you're like signing all your votes and stuff. So mm-hmm. that's like kind of cool. Um, and yeah, we're still actually figuring out how we're going to, going to eventually make it fully community run. So our goal is to like no longer 
own it as a company or anything like that and just make it like a community project. Got it. What's up, guys? Adam Levy here. Sorry for the quick pause. I wanted to give some love to our two NFT sponsors that are making this episode a reality. They are Coinvise and Polygon Studios. On Coinvise, you can create a personal or community-owned social token on Ethereum or Polygon. Coinvise also helps you create incentives through token rewards and bounties, NFT business models, and bot integrations for Discord. Discover more today by visiting coinvise.co. Polygon Studios is the gaming and NFT arm of Polygon, who's focused on growing the blockchain gaming and NFT industry while bridging the gap between Web 2 and Web 3 gaming. The Polygon Studios ecosystem comprises highly loved blockchain games like OpenSea, Upshot, Avagachi, Zedrun, Skyweaver, Decentraland, and Decentral Games. If you're a gamer, builder, or NFT creator looking to join the Polygon Studios ecosystem, get started today by visiting polygonstudios.com. All right, back to the episode. What would you say is the current state of music x crypto? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think what's interesting about music is it's very similar to one of one art in that like some people love it a lot and want to buy buy a song or something like that um but you don't it's harder to form like a pfp community around it um it's also interesting because it's the music itself is not as shareable on social media because the internet's just so visual um so like you can share songs sort of on twitter but it's like really not the same as sharing a photo of an nft that you bought um so I think um, one thing I, I'd say actually one of the best DAOs, examples of DAOs in the Web3 space is a music research DAO. That's Water and Music. Um, I think they're, in my opinion, the epicenter of like Web3 music communities. Um, and it's really fun because when people outside of crypto say like, what is crypto doing? That's not just inward looking like. Um, there's a lot of DAOs that do things for crypto people, but Water Music puts out really high quality sort of decentralized journalism about the entire music industry and also about crypto music. Um, so I am pretty bullish, like Web3 music creators. Um, I am not sure about existing Hollywood talent really doing something interesting with NFTs and music. In crypto because once again they're in an innovator's dilemma where it's actually worked out really well for you if you're very famous so if you're like miley cyrus what's why would you uh, um give part of your royalties to your fans um it's interesting royal is probably the most interesting project mm -hmm. and they've convinced some pretty famous people to to do that to do that yeah, yeah. and that's actually surprising to me so i hope to see more of that um do you think the market favors more independent artists and like up-and-coming artists or established artists yeah i'd say there's two markets basically okay. so there's like the crypto native market um and there's like a group of characters over there you know um daniel allen latasha even uh glor um ton yeah, ton yeah yeah i did the bad thing where now I'm forgetting. Yeah. Now I have to name everyone. Yeah. Um, and then there's also like crypto forward, pre-existing famous people. So like, um, Blau kind of fits in that category. Dead Mouse maybe. Um, Emojin Heap I think is like very pro NFTs. Um, what's interesting is I think community building looks really different for those two groups. Um, I do hear some people say that the end game of 
all these things is like a social DAO built around the music. Um, just like there's fan clubs, like I think uh, Red Light Management, which is a pretty famous um, management firm mm-hmm. for musicians, started as. Do you know the story here? No. It's, it started as like I think the just managing like the Dave Matthews Band or something, and okay. then um, basically they're you know huge fan clubs. Uh, for for some musicians, they form like huge music communities around them. I think. Um, Kanye West in the early days there was a website where his fans would talk about his music and it became like legendary mm. um, I do think it would be really fun if eventually all all creators all musicians formed social DAOs so instead of just being a fan you're like a member of whoever you like you're a member of their group and maybe when they do a tour they do a public show and then a DAO show or something like that um, I'd be very excited about um how we get there and whether it's going to be like existing famous people or completely new people, um, I think is an open question. I think it's more likely that the newcomers will arrive there more quickly because they're really open-minded. Um, one piece of advice I actually get, I run a crypto startup. A lot of people tell me who are outside of crypto to try to take the crypto piece out of it. <laughs> and that's always worked out very poorly for me. Mm. Um, yeah. And why is that? Why is it worked out poorly? Yeah, or? why when you try to take out the crypto piece and like make it uh, less obvious to the end user? Mm-hmm. I mean, I have my assumptions, thinking that a Web two user is one is a one class is like a class of an audience that has their own needs, their own wants, their own desires, and Web three users have their own needs, wants, and desires. So, and you guys have also branded yourselves more as the crypto forward, crypto native. Like when you go on the marketplace, you'll see L two as the top banner, yeah. right? Intentionally, with with the intention to do that. So walk me through when you remove the the crypto element from the narrative, right? And you just make it the, the, the infrastructure that just runs everything. Why why has it not worked in your favor? Yeah, it's interesting. One, I think crypto is like actually very exciting. Like we live like in, now when I tell people I work in crypto, it's like, like at a coffee shop, wow! People, people yeah. are like, "Yeah, you're, cool. you're the coolest guy in the room." Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm like, "You're kind of telling me to abstract away like the <laughs> the coolest part." Yeah, um, interesting. But the other thing is, people who care about crypto, um, are like very, uh, like, like a lot of words come to mind that are crypto words, like "wag me" mm-hmm. or like "yolo" type people. Like they're going, they're willing to like yeet one ETH into your drop, um, <laughs> you know, because, uh, you know, they're degens. Yeah. Like, these are all crypto words versus like, okay, let me try and take this to a Web2 market. Um, no one's going to pay $4,000 for a JPEG. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not, a you know, you know? so um, I think all the, like, a lot of the incredibly strange yet exciting behavior is in the crypto native spaces. Um, and then... The other piece is that like crypto just has a very special culture and like I wouldn't, I think we'll reach mainstream adoption, but like I think it's actually very fun to participate in crypto culture today. Like we were talking about ETH Denver earlier. I think it would be sad if this, and one day it might, um, there are no Web2 conferences um, <laughs> or like maybe it's that South by Southwest or something. Yeah. But like, I think it'd be sad if, um, 
uh, Vitalik gave a talk last night. I don't know if you were there. I tried to make it. Yeah. I couldn't make it. Yeah, it was fun. Um, he was, always, I feel like it's always great to see him speak. It's it's remarkable how open he is. Like, yeah. he's actually a billionaire and doesn't have private security. I'm actually almost like, for all of our sake, like, please hire some security. <laughs> so let's talk about that. We're already yeah. on the subject of culture. Right. Vitalik, billionaire, no security, comes in there with pajamas. Right. A fun, <laughs> like a fun... A fun bag, right? A headband, you know? Yeah. <laughs> As if he's like preparing to go to bed right after this. Yeah. <laughs> and then he's like embedding himself into the community, being level-headed with everyone, taking pictures with everyone. It tells you a lot about Ethereum's culture. I think openness is like core to it. And um, and a sense of like, yeah, wh- like it's whimsical and fun and it's like serious, but somehow doesn't take itself seriously. I've never seen a group of, I mean... Last night I was talking to a guy. Um, I was like, "Oh, like where, where are you coming from?" He says Puerto Rico. I don't know if you know what that means in crypto world. Mm-mm. So you moved to Puerto Rico. Oh, like a tax shelter. Yeah, yeah. because yeah. you ha- you've made so much money right. that you wa- now think it's worth it to live in Puerto Rico. So I'm like sitting next to a guy who's you know maybe has eight figures of wealth. I don't know, and he's just like the chillest dude ever. <laughs> um, yeah. And it's it's very very weird culture in that way you know when i went to uh solana's first conference in lisbon solana breakpoint yeah were you there no i I didn't make it so i was there because i was getting deeper like more curious as to what was happening on solana you can tell a lot about a community based off who attends its conferences yeah we just used the analogy and the example of vitalik coming here and him being the leader like the unofficial leader of Ethereum, but there is like a, there's like a, he's a role model to many, many people, right? A lot of builders, a lot of founders, a lot of funds, a lot of the day-to-day contributors to the ecosystem, but he embeds himself with everyone else, mm-hmm. right? When you go to Breakpoint, you go to Solana, there could be many factors why it could have been their first conference. It's all good, but just like taking us a, a step back and, and looking at everything from, from like a Hawk's point of view when you try to go talk to Anatoly or the other co-founder, right? They're guarded by security guards. Like oh, it's wow. like it's like a, a wall, like an absolute wall of beasts just like hovering over them, and everybody's trying to talk to them, say hi, whatever, and you just can't. You just genuinely can't. Um, and again, that could have been just one impression that I saw, but this is just my takeaways from the conference. And also, you can tell a lot about a community not only by who attends a conference, but who puts together the side events and the people attending the side events. 90, 95% of them were investors. Mm-hmm. A lot of the investors just started funds in the last six months or so. Some have established funds, but it's all investors, right? Yeah. Or mostly investors. I didn't find too many builders. I didn't find too many hackers, um, which like made me think twice about like what is actually happening on Solana? Why is it only investors? Where are the costumes? Where mm-hmm. Where is that culture that makes it fun, exciting, like, clickbaity cool you know weird um so yeah just just something to think about like you can tell a lot about a community based off who attends its conferences and seeing how vitalik is just so level-headed and so like himself and so i don't want to say weird because his weirdness is actually applies to like everything that he built and why people idolize him and everything right yeah um yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I hear some people talk about um, mercenary culture versus missionary culture. 
Um, mm, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, and it's interesting because I do think you need both. Um, so with me and my co-founder, we've talked about this with each other, and Daniel says, like, I'm more the missionary, and he's has a little more mercenary. Really, everyone's, like, a little bit of both. Um, but Ethereum, despite the crazy high valuations of all the DeFi protocols, tends to have a missionary culture. Like, when the people went up to Q&A, Vitalik, um, I don't know if you saw the Q&A part, multiple people were, like, like, one guy said, thank you for existing. Another guy was, like, I'm so, like, they were, like, stunned. Like, they weren't talking to, um, they were talking to some, someone that they really looked up to, yeah. like, in a, in a mission-oriented yeah, way. sure. Um, and it's funny. I actually think some parts of the Ethereum ecosystem could be more mercenary-oriented because the Ethereum Foundation is, really pays very low salaries, actually. Oh, really? Um, yeah. And they're a nonprofit, you know, versus Solana Labs for-profit, you know. Mm-hmm. Um so I do think like maybe Ethereum could use more mercenaries. And that's actually, I do like that some layer twos are very aggressive about um, scaling Ethereum. But, but I, d- I think it's by, the, by design though, Mark. And I'll tell mm-hmm. you why. Because if there was too much money involved, then it'd be uncomfortable. Well, and, and everything would be about money. Well, right. And the problem with mercenary culture is if you're paying people to build on your chain and you're promising low transaction fees, you're, that works for like a year or two. And then someone else comes along and... They also have money and low and cheap fees, and they say, "I'll pay you more money, and our fees will be cheaper." And then the, the, all the mercenaries, you know, do the mercenary yeah. thing and move on. There are there like I hear the term ETH maxi a lot. I don't meet very many like soul maxis. Um, one other group that somehow has missionary culture is Bitcoin. Like you hear a lot of people sure. really believe in the Bitcoin mission, yeah. and um, I think. That type of buy-in is really special, and you can't like it. It's very uh, long-term oriented. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of what you guys started at the music fund is very missionary culture. Yeah, I think a lot of, um, I think that yeah, a lot of what me and Daniel, a lot of our personality kind of comes through in a lot of the stuff we're building. It tends to be whimsical, um, and and interesting and ideally trying to make something that everyone thinks is cool rather than like music fund didn't really have a business model mm-hmm. like yeah 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 it makes a lot of sense i'm excited for you guys what, what's in store for for the marketplace for this year for the next few months so if you haven't heard yes it's it's layer 222 okay um so <laughs> i believe that yeah, yeah. it's we, a lot of the energy at eth denver too yeah so we believe um layer twos are gonna take over this year um not even because people are excited about them, but just because gas fees on L1 Ethereum are crazy. Um, so we're hoping to basically help the community move on. So today we only have like about 30 collections. Um, we're hoping that a lot of people who are building on L1 bridge their NFTs to optimism. Um, and we hope like many more people um, like use our marketplace, use layer twos. Um, and we think that that's the best way to, um, you know, like, I think Solana, like, I hope Solana also does well, but mm-hmm. like, I think sure. ETH, ETH Denver, there's a special culture here and I don't want it to be only, uh, whales can like transact on Ethereum. So the way we do that is by moving to layer twos. So for us, that's what we're focused on is moving all this culture, um, onto layer twos um and even like creating new and uh 
better cultures. Um, I mean, yeah. yeah. What is layer two culture? Yeah, because it feels like layer one culture is like ETH Denver or mm -hmm. like or like ETH CC. Yeah. Um, what is like? Does layer two need a whole new culture? Yeah. So I think it's there are many layer twos. Okay. Um, right. So it really depends on the chain you're building on. This is something that also people don't people outside of crypto. It's like surprising is that the chain you build on does end up affecting the culture actually. So a project on Solana is different than a project on Ethereum, like an artwork. Like why do artists pay, you know, 200 bucks in gas fees to mints on Ethereum? Um, like you said, the, <laughs> the liquidity is in Ethereum, but also the culture. Um, so with Optimism, you know, they're actually not a for-profit company. <laughs> um, so I say we need more mercenaries, but I keep picking the missionary types. <laughs> um, so they're um, giving all the profits of their protocol to public goods funding in the ecosystem. So that's like a really interesting piece of culture and it does influence the projects that choose to build there. Um, when you talk about ZK rollups, the, that's another way to do a layer two mm -hmm. like with ZK mm -hmm. technology. Um, it's really nerdy. So, so like you have like hackers, you know, um, building over there. Um, you also have like other layer twos like, um, Immutable X mm -hmm. just announced um, a Game big part. Stop. Ga Game stop. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So I think that's going to be like awesome, but it's also probably going to be a little more um, corporate, but it will bring on board like tons of new people in. Yeah. So yeah. Um, that'll be cool too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited for what 22, 2022 holds. Uh, I'm really excited to see how the music scene kind of plays out. Uh, I'm excited to see more musicians and more artists start their own quote unquote creator DAOs and what that really means. Uh, I think they're more based off like token based communities. Um, I'm excited to see more people mess around with royalties. Yeah. And because right now when you buy like a music NFT, ownership is very much of a gray area. Like what do you actually buy? What do you actually own? Yeah. Currently it's just a collectible, right? Um, I know a lot of people are betting that in the future, there's going to be infrastructure that allows you to basically put your music NFT on like a decentralized Spotify of some sort. And then you'll be able to show visually that you're the owner of this. And then you'll earn part of the streaming and listening data or li listening royalties if that ends up being a model, if and when that ends up being a model. But like, how do you kind of see the music NFT landscape playing out in 2022? Yeah, I hope we see some like breakout successes. I do think it's usually like a really compelling example that moves the whole industry. So like Board Ape Yacht Club kind of created the PFP thing. Mm -hmm. um, Uniswap sort of, or the launch of Compound, um, the Comp token and, and Uniswap tokens really made DeFi Summer happen. Um, so I hope like one creator just, and hopefully multiple, but I think we just need one to like totally knock it out of the park um, with amazing experiences. Like I'd love to see a world tour for everyone in your DAO or something. Mm, um, what would that be like? Like, I think it'd be fun if, so in a lot of communities, there's already like LA, New York, SF, um, maybe Denver. Uh, I'd love to see like maybe a creator tra traveling, but the shows are organized by DAOs and they're primarily for DAO members or something like that. Got um, it. And it's funny because even like when you go back way, way back, that was kind of the vibe I think of like music like in the 60s or something where like people like travel with yeah. the musicians and stuff literally so, yeah i'd love to that's see that's a good that. point yeah would you go on tour with a with a musician um some actually yeah like i'm i'm like 
pretty down for a lot of <laughs> crazy really? things. I, have, I have a job, so <laughs> it might be tough with that. But like, um, for sure, there are some people I'd follow. <laughs> what are the most interesting like music NFT or music creator use cases that you've seen happen so far besides Daniel Allen, for example? Yeah, um, that's a good question. I think royalties are interesting just sort of legally. Um, but yeah, I haven't personally, like, it's still for me, I haven't seen, I, I'm like a show, like token gated events. Like I would let, like there's Constitution Dow. Right. I was actually joking with one of my friends. Um, I like love Avril Lavigne. Um, <laughs> Shout out. <laughs> yeah. And I'd love to just like form almost like, I, I don't know if this is, this could be a good idea or a bad idea, but like permissionlessly form like Avril Lavigne Dow. And be like, we're gonna bring you to LA, and just like the whole purpose is we're just gonna a, crowdfund money, yeah. to pay for a show that we can watch. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Yeah, and that'd like, be cool. Yeah. So, um, and I think one time use case DAOs, it's fun because it, you don't have to make it sustainable. Like Constitution DAO was like, we don't have a plan. We're just buying the Constitution, and I'm like, we don't have a plan. Like we're just gonna bring Avril Lavigne here, or maybe I don't know how she feels about crypto. So you probably want someone who likes crypto. And do like a crazy show in LA Historic Park, and all the DJs from California and the West Coast can come down. And I'm like, let's do it. Um, so <laughs> I, I hope that happens. <laughs> That's a really good idea. <laughs> Thanks. That's a really good idea. Thanks. You should definitely do that. Yeah. And have people buy the NFTs on your marketplace. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We can do it on layer two. <laughs> yeah. Wait. Let's walk through this example for a minute. Okay? Yeah, sure. So. You would issue and build a site similar to Music Fund, right? yeah. issue NFTs as tickets mm -hmm. um, or with the utility of a ticket. Mm -hmm. um, would you reach out to her prior and tell her that you're doing this? You'd be like, hey, Avril Lavigne, we raised all this money. Come perform now. Like It's called the Avril Lavigne live performance down. <laughs> like, uh, don't yeah. disappoint us. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's funny. I would probably do a background check to make sure it's like at least likely. Um, okay. so like some artists are like, you know, totally not touring. Um, but yeah, I like check that it's likely that they're open to it. Um, it's funny cause my guess is like, it might even be, they might not take it seriously at first. A lot of people outside of crypto tend to underestimate it. And then, yeah, just like, um, you basically just need the right, a lot of, crypto is actually about the micro influencers on Twitter. It's about crypto Twitter. So if you just get the right people on Twitter to think this is awesome, then yeah, we spin up the site, sell the NFTs, maybe throw. And I, one funny thing is I'm like also unabashedly like millennial. I loved um, like 2009, like all the music. So like we could have a chuggy um, aesthetic now we're that, that could be like the theme or something. We could throw all the after parties. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, basically you just put up a site, see if people buy it, and then have a really competent team execute it. That could be really cool. Yeah. I wonder what that could look like at scale and if there's a product play behind that at all. Well, that's what's so fun is when you prove that something's possible, then then you can get all this institutional support that is necessary to build a long-term thing. So like Constitution Dow proved that you could crowdfund $40 million and that made it possible to do like, I, I don't know what people have done directly from constitution DAO, mm -hmm. but um, like board API club for sure made it possible to fund all sorts of different NFT projects. Um, so. That's really cool. Yeah. So, okay. Beyond crowdfunding, a live performance uh, 
by Avril Lavigne. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what other interesting music NFT or music X crypto use cases are you excited about? And I, and maybe we can even talk more about the royalty side of thing too. Yeah. Because that's a very gray area uh, section with Blau issuing a limited digital asset and LDA as the legal formality of being able to sell streaming data, right? Or not data, streaming royalties and, and kind of democratize that entire process, um, which is by far, in my opinion, the most exciting use case because that's like tangible utility, mm-hmm. right? It, it's more than just a gated unlock for a Discord, right? right. Um, how are you guys thinking about royalties? Like how, how are you and your co-founder uh, from a marketplace point of view, from the music NFT fund point of view, how are you guys thinking about music royalties and the democratization behind that? Yeah, one funny thing about music fund in particular is it's actually no strings attached grants um, which we think is like the, well, it's a very effective way to onboard people, <laughs> um, because it's just free money. You want money? Yeah. Yeah. Just come take it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's also fun because it means that we can be really, um, like it creates a lot of trust between us and artists and our community, um, because we're not trying to promote, uh, I think we like catalog and mint songs and sound.xyz, but we're not promoting any of them and we're not saying you need to tokenize in any particular way. It's interesting. I think the decision of how and when to tokenize is actually really personal um, for artists, which is why I think it might take a while um, because you really get a token launch like one time. Um, so like at least a creator token launch um, and deciding whether there's utility built in from day one is, is really complicated. Um, especially if you're giving up, um, you know, something important to you, like upside in your own career. Um, like you, I think there's definitely like a black mirror type outcome you see sometimes where it's like, um, (laughs) do you watch, I don't know if you've seen Rick and Morty. Yeah. There's like a meme that's like, this just sounds like slavery with more steps, (laughs) but it's like, there is like a sad world in which like you like tokenize yourself and then you like, there's like a crowd of people on the internet telling you what you have to do. And that sounds like super sad. So, um, in terms of royalties, we don't do royalties for music fund because it's just grants. Um, I think what I'm excited about, whether it's royalties or something else, I think fans need true upside in the artist career. And that's the most exciting piece of NFTs or social tokens. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Mark, I think this is a this is a great place to wrap up. Before I let you go, though, uh, where can we find you? Where can we find the projects that you're working on? Shill yourself, your your handles, all the above. Yeah, you can find me. I'm Web3Mark on Twitter, Web3Mark.eth. Um, yeah, that's the best place. Amazing. <laughs> we'll have to do this again in a few months. Thanks, uh, Adam. But thanks for being on. Yeah, it's been great.